On this episode of Resi Week, we talk expo registration opening, bridging the gap in fireplace myths. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 329, Shoulder to Shoulder. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Middle Atlantic. What great systems are built on. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matthew Scott for AVNation.tv. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my longtime friends. First, we have Mr. Henry Clifford. He's the president of Livewire and the co-founder of Paracel. How are you doing, Henry? What's going on, Matt? Great to be with you. Great to have you. Then we have Mr. Joseph Whitaker. He is the VP of Business Development for Origin Acoustics. How are you doing, buddy? Good. Glad to be back on the show. Talk about cool, fun stuff and everything that revolves around what we do. Yay. We are going to kick this off with a story that comes to us from CE Pro. Registration is now open for CDA Expo 2022 in Dallas, Texas. The show is going to run uh, sorry, September 29th through October 1st. That's a Thursday through Saturday, if you're wondering, uh, and is set to feature over 350 exhibitors, 60-plus educational sessions, 80-plus trainings, a boatload of networking events, and so much more. Gentlemen, are we, are we excited for this? Henry, do you expect this show to be kind of kind of back to normal back to back to our our expected attendance levels and excitement levels and product announcements and availability conversations what's what's it going to look like i based on the photos i've seen coming out of barcelona coming out of isc based on the attendance at the pro source power dealer show last week uh, i i feel like we're building to uh, return to normalcy, uh, barring any kind of crazy Delta Wave Part Two, uh, monkeypox, something fun. I feel like we're we, all the leading indicators, all the crystal ball factors appear to be indicating a pretty killer show. But as the last two years have shown us, who knows? So we'll see. But so far, so good. I like it. Joseph, uh, I, I like your thoughts in general uh, on the show, of course, but more importantly, as a manufacturer, the last two years, there have been a boatload of conversations, mostly online, uh, as far as that, that people were able to see with manufacturers talking about the investment in these shows and the time investment of these shows and how, you know, there, there are companies that, that they just are, they're going to do the show no matter what. There are a lot of companies that look at it and go, yeah, we may not get the the engagement we're looking for. Um, and a lot of companies, in, including yours, uh, where, where, where your CEO came out a couple of times and said, you know, we do this show because we support the industry and because we support the opportunity to get FaceTime with our dealers and, and with new dealers. And kind of gloss over the fact that it's not necessarily a money-making, and I'm putting words in his, in, in his mouth, but... There's some uh, alluding to the fact that we do it as an investment opposed to, hey, there's a, there's a great ROI on this. Henry made a good point. 
there was a lot of good pictures that came out of ISE, but when you drill past the pictures, there's a lot of, yeah, it was great to connect with people. There was much less talk about tech. Is this show going to kind of follow suit? 17.5, Matt, 17.5. 17,500 individuals will go. That's my, that is my estimate, my guess, my crystal That's a ball. bold assessment. Th those who have made bets with me before know that I rarely lose the bet on attendance. Um, so it's, it, it, I think the, um, like Henry said, ProSource event uh, in San Antonio, ProSource event in Vegas, Tech Summits this year, CDA Tech Summits, plus I, ISC all point towards that. Um, not only are people interested in seeing tech, um, they, they, we all miss bouncing ideas or learning, you know, business methods from our peers. Everyone know that's a big part of all of our businesses is that we, we learn from our peers. We really do. And we enjoy that engagement and we have friends we miss, like, you know, I miss Henry and I miss you and I haven't seen you guys in forever because of, well, this uh, pandemic that went everywhere. But you, you look at, you know, that investment from a company, you brought up something really good when Expo was in Indianapolis, Origin did show up and had kind of their normal booth and got a lot of one-on-one -on -one FaceTime. But mm -hmm. the investment is, yes, about the people, but it's also that opportunity that when there are new products or new services or new platforms or whatever the case may be, it's that chance to actually show everybody because when, when you're introducing a lot of stuff, it's hard to get it out on the road all over the US or mm -hmm. all over the world and show you let them get their hands on it. Let them hear things, let them see things, let them experience things. It's that chance for us as an industry to kind of, you know, rip off our work shirt and say, hey, I'm one of you, you know, show me what you got or teach me something new. It's it's that shot. And if ISC and ProSource hasn't taught us anything, it's that um, people are realizing they, they need those experiences. That's how they're going to move their business forward, whether it be, you know, new products or classes or training or even the keynote inspiring somebody. You know, they're they're starting they, two and a half years, man, of, of none of that. And mm -hmm. we've all felt the pain. Of course, there's new pains to come from, and there'll be those discussions, like you said. Uh, what stock look like? When is that? <laughs> no, when, no, no, no. Wait. When is that really shipping? Um, where is that container at? Of course, those conversations are going to happen. But I, I think everybody, we're we're going to force it to go back to normal. I think everybody in the industry is going to force it to go back to normal. Chickenpox aside, childhood hepatitis, all of that aside. Um, you know, whatever the new thing is, there'll be something new before September, I'm sure. But I think it's kind of that we, we know that shows aren't dead. In my, my opinion, they're not dead. They're a necessary part of what we do. Do you guys expect to see this kind of maintained as a U.S.-focused show, i.e. ISE happened? It was primarily the European contingent. There was not a lot from Asia-Pac. There was not a lot from from uh, Africa. There was next to nobody really from the U.S. That it was a very minor contingent. Do you expect that those uh, hassles to get into the U.S. to 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 travel internationally are going to play in? I really do think it's going to be uh, uh, mostly U.S. and it'll be okay. moving forward U.S. focused because you look at like. Um, you know, the, the Australia, New Zealand situation, people from Australia could just now get into New Zealand like last week. 
Mm -hmm. Right. So you, yeah. you look at all the, the rest of the world's travel restrictions and then the pain to go back and forth right now. I, I think it, it'll go back to like those early, you know, right after Amelia, Amelia Island days of, you know, the, this is the regions actually make sense now just because of the difficulties of travel and getting equipment and booths yeah. and everything else. I, I do. I agree with you. I are. You, you left that open. You didn't say what you thought, but I, I really think that there's going to be more of a local focus kind of moving forward, at least for a while. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, gentlemen, let's change topics for a second. Bridging the gap between solid and killing it, pushing your staff to go from adequate to exceptional by the one and only Mr. Henry Clifford, who, of course, is, is here to talk about his article that he wrote which is like just a continual shameless plug by you, by the way. I, I, I appreciate yeah, it, I, but I don't, I don't know, know how you get Mitchell there. to do this it for you. It helps that I had nothing to do with the selection of the content for today, but I'll just throw I, that. I feel like you write so that your stories can be focused when you come on. I, I do. I have one. I think you've lined up <laughs> yeah. your publishing and your appearance schedule. I write for you, Matt. <laughs> So it worked again. I love it, buddy. All right, read through the article. Uh, Henry attended a Virginia Council of CEOs and listened to a How to Hire a Players uh, author speak on turning um, or identifying and, and, and turning B players into A players. Um, it's a great article, Henry. And even if you weren't here, I'd say that. Joe, I want to start with you on this one. How do you identify your... Again, to use the phrasing in, in the article and from the book, how do you identify your B players and work at turning them into A players? Well, if they've made it into like the one the successfully. Yeah. You know, if they've made it into the organization, this is like common hiring, right? Um, you already know they have the opportunity or the ability to become an A player uh, because they've already kind of made it past that. Uh it's, it's interesting that in a lot of it, and Henry hits on a lot of really key points on, you know, the difference between, you know, just getting by and killing it, which I thought was kind of cool. But you look at those A and B mm -hmm. players, and one thing that employers often fail to do is to really pay attention to what, what innate skill set does this person have? Where, where can they be successful? What tools do they already have and then how to capitalize on those you know you may have you know in henry's article he talks about you know sales and some other stuff uh and, and managing and if, if you can capitalize on some of the innate skills they already have they could be a they could be a player very quickly you may have a, a mm -hmm. technical staff that has a magical skill of an ability to talk to a customer at a customer's level while knowing all of the technical stuff but if you don't capitalize on that and understand that that's a skill they have, you'll never be able to migrate them to that A player status. When you identify those abilities in a person, you capitalize on them, cross-trade them, you can turn B players into A players. I've done it many, many times. And it's good that Henry put this out there because I think a lot of business owners, um, man, uh, managerial staff, often don't take that route. They're just trying to get jobs done, right? They're just trying to mm -hmm. continue with the pro forma. That, that's the, there's the recipe. Let's not mess with it. We are making some money. Getting those B players to A players is kind of how Henry laid it out. The killing it part. There is a way to take yeah. some of your basic players, turn them into A players, and actually make the entire organization kill it. 
Um, so for everybody out there, I, this is a really good read and it may change your mind, um, in the way you've been approaching, not just, you know, hiring of course, but how you bring those other people in your organization up the ladder. You, you cause an area to exceed expectations. Um, and of course, Henry is the king of reward, by the way, um, as far as rewarding his players when they do stuff. I love watching those videos, by the way, uh, the employee of the month videos. He, he incentivizes and incentivizing somebody to get to a status when they have the ability to do it is huge. Yeah, that's a really good point. Henry, one of the things that I, I'm always fascinated with these types of conversations is we all know that there are again, to use the terminology, there are some B players that within them have all the skills and the drive to become an A player. They just maybe haven't got there yet. Maybe they need a little bit of guidance to get there, but it's internal. It's innate within them. They're going to do it. Just sometimes you can help them speed that along. What do you do with somebody who you see the potential to get them from B to A, but you know, it's going to take some investment. How much how much time, how much investment can you can you justify to bring someone along that path, especially if they're hitting some roadblocks initially? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I've heard figures anywhere from uh, that a bad hire is anywhere from anywhere from three x to ten x the, the person's salary. It's but it's some crazy number. It's it's really mm -hmm. expensive to make a bad hire. So. The way that we sort of look at it is, hey, if we can kind of throw money at it and it's going to come in under that number, then then we're going to hang in there. Especially if we see that they've got a that, that they're a good values or culture fit, we can coach the performance usually, or to the extent that we need to make the role smaller, which is something that Eric Harrenkole in this book. B players to A players talks about, and and really the the notion that somebody's supposed to be good while at the same time being tasked with doing forty eight different things, the idea of moving towards a place where our businesses have specialized roles, where mm -hmm. I mean Henry Ford showed us the way here, right? So if if we have these specialized roles, everything gets easier. Our hiring funnel gets easier because we're hiring for a specialized role with a narrow set of skills uh, that that we can then train uh, easier versus the sin I think we all commit as CI businesses is we go out looking for, we hire reactively, we hire when we, too late after we need, mm -hmm. way, way later after we need folks, we're, we're digging the well, we're, we've been thirsty for a long time, so we're making dumb choices. So we'll hire quickly, which isn't what we should be doing. And we're looking for universal soldiers. So folks who have these magical skill sets, and a lot of us, our headcount's not big. So we, we almost are thinking in the, in the terms of um, the person making the decision, oftentimes is this, the entrepreneur, the person who started the business, who maybe at times can be really good at those 38 different things, but that's not a way to scale a business. And so that, yeah. that's a big challenge is like getting to this place of specialization where, to your point, Matt, finding that, that sort of inner A player by, by casting off all these, these uh, uh, 37, 36 other things that they were supposed to be doing and they were doing them poorly. 
that can really help those folks, those folks to shine. But that requires a lot of hard work, usually at the organizational level, to make the change. And so oftentimes we'll find that the answer not isn't necessarily the candidate or the employee. The employee is just really a, a, a canary in the, in the coal mine, mm-hmm. essentially, informing us that organizationally, maybe we've got some work to do to sort of make, make our business better so that we can grow and scale. I actually like that saying, Matt, about, um, you know, what if we train or educate our employees and they leave? And the answer is always, mm-hmm. what if we don't? You know, yeah, what if they stay? It, it, yeah, what, yeah, yeah, what if we don't? And what if they stay? Yeah, I, I think there's something to the effect that you should be training your employees every day in something, right? There, there should be something that you're trying to, like as a company, not necessarily you specifically, it should be a constant learning curve because mm-hmm. it's the only way we get better across the board. And if we can't figure out a way to constantly train and teach, I think we're, we're missing opportunities. At least so. to, to the point that it should be part of the cadence, Matt. Yeah. We, all our employees at Livewire have eight hours of paid training every month. We shut the business down once a quarter for a training day, uh, all day mm-hmm. training day, once a quarter. And then... Obviously, we're all using ProSource University and putting our new hires through the onboarding program. So I, I couldn't agree more that the, the, in aviation, they say a good pilot is always learning, but it, yeah. it's very much a, an ongoing journey. Yeah, very much so. There's always a new trick you can learn. All right, gentlemen, let's hit our last story of the day. This comes to us from CE Pro common myths about mounting TVs over fireplaces. Uh, In this article, Spencer Greenwall goes through a couple of the key uh, conversation points, we'll say, uh, about hanging a TV over a fireplace, um, including it's too high, it's going to strain their neck, Uh, it's going to affect image quality, which is an interesting one. I don't think I've ever heard that one. Um, That the fireplace heat is going to damage the TV, etc., uh, and that cables will distract from the design of the fireplace area. Um, I don't want to get into a debate over whether we should mount a TV or over a fireplace or not. As much as we could debate this, we're not going to. Because put the TV where the client wants it. That's the bottom line. What I do want to talk about, um, and Henry, I, I'm going to start with you on this one. Every time I see these articles every time i see a conversation in an you know an integrators community on facebook or linkedin or something like that someone's posting a photo of you know let's say a a frame tv over this huge gas fireplace on this big feature wall and half of the stinking comments are going to be you shouldn't have put that over the fireplace and while i may agree with that for a couple of things aesthetically that's what the client obviously wanted that's what the designer wanted why are we as a community so often wanting to pick a fight over something like this do we get paid differently if we put the tv to the side at the 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 you know official viewing height like do we get paid more like what am i missing why why are we always fighting people on stuff like this there there appears to be some some peculiarities I've noticed in our industry around 
and it seems to attract certain personality types. And what some sometimes, right? The, those personalities can come with some baggage, especially ego. And and I think early on, especially early on in a career, I think especially with technology, uh, it, it's very common to hear somebody using a lot of jargon, technical terms, etc., almost to show that they understand. Uh, mm-hmm. And part of that, I think, can manifest in being unnecessarily contrarian. Whereas, if if we look That's at such other, a polite way to put it, <laughs> yeah, if we look at other industries, like if we look at psychology or the law or other, but th- those folks will generally answer a question with another question, or they'll say, yeah. "Here's door number one. Here's door number two." Here's door number three. Here are the pros and cons associated with each one. And then we, and then they invite the client to sort of make an informed decision. And I think for us, if we could maybe lend some of that into our own thinking, we might be better off in terms of enjoying the, the ride a little bit more with our clients. Um, so as to the why, I, I don't know, as to the how we can maybe get to a better place, that that might be uh, that might be a way forward, and also might be a, a blog that I'm about to write after this uh, conversation. Today. Make sure you put it out for when you come back. I will. So I, will. I was getting ready to say, not not only does he plug yeah. and set it up where his articles come out. Oh yeah. While he's getting ready to be on the show, he also steals ideas to inspire his article from same said show. <laughs> and he never sends so me a check. I never get a check. I never get a royalty. It's amazing how that works. It's in the mail. <laughs> U.S. mail. Sure it is. Joe, I, I I agree with what Henry's saying as far as laying out some options. And I've done it myself. And heck, we've got an install going on later this afternoon where we're doing this exact thing. The guys are mounting a TV over a fireplace without a mantle. And we're having the conversation. And, and we had the conversation during walkthrough of this is the best place for it. Over the fireplace is really the only place we should put it. Right. Now, here are the two things you want to be aware of when we do it and when we install it here. And we laid it out and we made it real simple, but we're not, we're not, we're not fighting over it. But often I I, I take a a bit of issue with, with Henry's point of of laying out three choices for a lot of clients because they really... If we're going to be the experts, right? If they're calling in the experts, when they call in the designer, the designer tells them what couch they're buying, where they're putting it. Most of the designers we work with, they don't give their clients options. They ask them three questions and then give them a slew of things and say, here, you're buying a small car or or a large car sometimes um, of furnishings that we're going to supply. They don't give them options because they're the experts. They know the design. And you're totally stealing my thunder, dude. <laughs> you're welcome. Are, are we not like on one hand, if we're going to be the experts and we know how to properly achieve the look that the homeowner or the designer wants, should we not just go in with that confidence, well-being polite to say, yeah, here's how we'll achieve that vision and just get it done versus adding more adding more confusion to it I, like yeah i'm yes conflicted no. between all three points 
Yes and no. You're, you're on the right track. And it's something that, I, you know, just dealing with it forever. It's like down to a science way. I always think about it. And, you know, you talk about the designer. Every room should own, uh, every, any designer will tell you every room should only have one focal point. If you've got a fireplace in there, that's a built-in focal point. You can't fight it. The furniture is going to be aimed in that direction. That's done. It's just like a stud in the wall. It's there. Done. That is the focal point. So now you got to deal with the focal point. The problem is, and, and some of the things they listed in here that are problems are true, a little bit of neck strain. Matt, you wanted to know about video degradation or picture quality. That has to do with um, up, down, off access instead of side to side off access. It really is a thing. But so, but, but I, I, I need those for my points. My points are your job, my job, Henry's job is never to talk about the problems ever. You never talk about problems or issues because that gives them the point of saying, we just won't have a TV in this room. We'll just put a painting there, whatever the case may be. Our job is to offer solutions, and we only answer when they question the solution. We're putting this TV here. It's going to have a motorized mount by Nexus 21, or it's going to have a manual mount, mantle mount by a so-and-so. We offer the solution. We never offer the answer to what the solution is for unless asked. Then you go into those things. You always assume that they know you're the expert. And you're going to offer the solutions to every problem they're going to encounter ever. If they question a solution, go, why are we doing this? Then you say, you need to have a comfortable viewing area. You need to blah, 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 whatever the case may be. We need the sound bar attached to it so that it moves with it. So your audio always stays following the direction. Solutions are always our answer. Never questioning our own things we're installing. Why am I going to say, we're going to install this TV above your fireplace, but it's going to have X, Y, Z problems and one, two, three issues for your back and neck. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Why are you going to outsell yourself? Yeah. And hey, also, just to clarify, the, the sort of door number one, door number two, door number three thread, that, that to me only comes out, like Joe said, in those moments when you're they push back most of the time a confident and well-established somebody who's built credibility and trust with a client accomplishes this by really just gesturing around the room and then you're moving on into the next room it's very it's it's all about delivery all about do you have the presence do you have the trust of the client they're not going to push back on these sorts of things i think where but when they do or if they do being able to say yes and versus getting into an antagonistic, uh, mm -hmm. this is where I think we, we really go wrong as an industry is we, we go from shoulder to shoulder to across the table. We need to stay shoulder to shoulder at all times with the, with, with the client in the interaction. So I totally agree with Joe. I wanted to clarify that my little perceived, by the way, it is perceived choice, by the way. It, it, it even even when we're opening doors, mm -hmm. I know which door I want them to step through, and that's the door they will step through. But they feel they're in control the entire time. When you do, and this is for everybody listening, doesn't matter if you're a manufacturer or an integrator or a designer, is the minute a customer questions one of your solutions. That is the point that you realize that there may be a slight lack of trust. 
when you see that lack of trust, don't offer them the answer. Your answer should be, I, I know the answer to this, but let me give you, boom, give them a link to an article talking about the exact same thing or a link to an expert page where they can understand that what you're saying is backed up by science, literature, other renowned experts, and then all of a sudden, all the rest of the stuff that you talk about now has credence and meaning to them because you just backed up something without mm -hmm. just your lips flapping. You put it out there that, hey, this is recognized across the globe as the answer. Now you'll trust me. Yeah. Social proof. Social proof. Social proof is always the answer. Such a powerful tactic. Agreed. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's leave it there. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, Henry, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Livewire or Paracel, where can they do that? But yeah, absolutely. At Get Livewire, at Get Paracel. Um, I'm everywhere. Uh, and great to be on the show today. And thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Mr. Whitaker, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Origin Acoustics, where can they do that? They can always email me, joe at originacoustics.com. Find me on social media, wherever that may be, with something with Joe Whitaker or Origin Acoustics. Um, being a little quiet out there right now because I got a whole bunch of stuff going on that I cannot talk about. So that means there's going to be lots of, lots of cool new stuff this year, and it's going to be awesome. I love it. Uh, thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and most other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week.